Okay, uh, we're talking about our church being reborn, and today's message, we're, we're still in Matthew 25, and the, the teaching today will be the middle part of it, and my title is, Don't Give It Back As Is, if you can find your way to Matthew 25, verse 14. This chapter of Scripture has, uh, in a way, been branded on my heart. I feel as though I'm like a cattle, and there was this hot iron being uh, just pressed against my heart. And what has remained are uh, the phrase, uh, for the least of us, and this chapter of Scripture, Matthew 25. And we're, we're going to stay in this this week and, and next week as well. We'll go to the first teaching of the parable of the ten virgins next week. But as uh, we're here from verse 14, just let me go ahead and read it. Jesus is teaching. It's two days before Passover, and it's a very important private discussion he's having with his disciples. And he's teaching them what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And this is what he says to them. It's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and he entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, uh, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. And immediately the one who had received the five talents went and he traded with them, and he gained five more talents. And in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who received the one talent went away and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and he brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." And the one who had received the two talents came up and he said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents, and see, I have gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And now the one also had received the one talent came up and he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. You see, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. And therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, and in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth." This is, I think, a somewhat of a familiar parable, uh, a passage of Scripture for those who've grown up in the church for any, any amount of time. 
Stewardship is somewhat of a, a Christian word. It's not originated necessarily in, in Christian circles. Whether you were the steward of a ship or the steward of a house, the steward was a manager of another's possessions. It was a very common wor- word in the olden days. But nowadays, in our contemporary world, when we hear the word steward, we think Christian message of something along the lines of finances or giving or, or tithing and offering, right? And this passage of Scripture is used a lot in the realm of the use of our money, of our finances. Now, as we talk about it today, I'm not going to just isolate it to that area. And when I talk about whatever that it is, that it that I have, whether it be my finances or whether it be the time, the energy, the passions, the span of my life, my family, my career, There are many things that we receive, in a sense, on loan, meaning it was entrusted to us, just like the parable says, that this master went and he saw them and he entrusted to them what belonged to him. And in that same vein, we have received many things from God that are his. Scripture is clear when it says everything originated with God, it actually comes through him and it will actually go back to him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last. And so our lives, in a sense, everything that we have has been entrusted to us, including the days and the ounces of strength that we have. Let me outline for you three important things to frame this parable. The first thing that we must note is that God assesses ability before issuing talents. Now, have you ever managed something, you know? And when you manage people, you have your antennae up, right? You're you're thinking, you know, this person is able, this person is not so able, this person's right in the middle. And you're you're gauging people's effectiveness, their track record, experience, their the, the things that they have. And so when you give something to them for them to manage, you want them to do well with it. And in the same way, God looking at us assesses ability first. Assesses ability before he actually issues something to us. That's clear from this parable. But what I also want to point out with this one is that ability is not a stagnant thing. And what do I mean by that? It's like once you get it, you have that for life. You know, that's it. You got two and your, your, your talent is, is right there. Two out of ten and uh, that's all you get for the rest of your life. Okay? It's not like that. That when we see our own ability, we mature through the years. We grow as individuals. And that's why soul care or personal development is so important in our lives. That we need not be content with our ability when we graduated from high school. Or when we graduated from college or grad school or whatever season we are in life. We need not say, this is my ability and it will stay this way for the rest of my life. I, I'm going to flatline and you know, I'm not really going to grow shouldn't be thought of that way. And so if in high school, people entrusted it to me very little because my ability was little, invest in personal growth. Care for your soul. Mature as an individual. So that in later seasons of life, that those who are over you and as God sees you, He can give new talents, more talents. So don't see your ability as a stagnant thing. See it as something that is in flux, that increases and, in a sense, can also decrease. 
But just know, God assesses ability before issuing talents to us. The second thing is that any amount of talents has potential for return. Here, someone had five, someone had two, and someone had one. Every situation, five, two, and one, had the potential for growth. There was uh, an ROI, a return on investment that was expected by the owner of it all, by the master. And so a person can, you know, have you ever heard the phrase, money makes money? You know what I mean, right? And so somebody who has at their disposal a lot of money, they in some ways can be seen as more capable to make more money. If I grew up in a wealthy home, I could have uh, been on loan from my parents and they could have given me tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to start a business that I eventually pay back to them. Or they could have set me up in the best schools and put me on the best track. And in a sense, we believe money makes money. While there is a lot of truth to that, we need not use that as a scapegoat. Because any amount that we have, and in our parable, everybody receives something, that any amount has a capacity or potential to grow and bring a return. Okay. It's an important thing to realize. Whatever I have in my hand now is enough. The third thing that I'd like to say is that God will settle accounts. And it seems like a no-brainer, but there will be some sort of a accounting day. Spiritually, the book of life will be opened and our souls will be accountable to God whether we received Christ or not. But within the realm of salvation even, there will be an issuing of rewards as well. There will be an issuing of, 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 of a blessing by the Father. And the things that we did with our life, not just whether I received Jesus or not, but how I utilized the days of my life, the ounces of my strength, the things that I had at my disposal, that all of those will be held into account, that there will be a, a leveling, a balancing of the sheets. And God will do that. It's evident in this passage, and it's important to realize these three things to frame the lessons that Jesus is trying to teach through this particular parable. And so I'm going to classify these slaves into two groups. The first two had an owner's mentality, and the last one had a worker's mentality. And I'll explain that a little bit. What does it mean to have a worker's or an owner's mentality. Let me start with the worker's mentality, okay? The last guy who got the one talent only. Let me remind you of this miracle bush, right? I introduced this at the retreat, and I'm so happy to tell you, do you see anything different about this bush? Look at all right over here. <laughs> Look at that thing. I was like beaming for joy as if a baby was born in my home. It was like, wow. New leaves are budding. It is growing. It is now 15 and a quarter inches high. Yes, right? It is growing. And I am so happy about that. That I'm, you know, I'm particularly looking at that top left that you see on the picture here. 
and there are more and more leaves that are forming. And you know how they form, right? They, they, they grow from the inside and they push out the ones. And more leaves are coming and the ones from the center are getting larger. And every time I come back out and water that thing, I'm like, yes, 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 I'm so happy. I, I, you don't understand how happy I am for this, right? I'm overjoyed. I'm ecstatic, okay? But this miracle bush, as I explained in weeks past, was a miracle to me because I had this in a particular spot that was this way on this little potting area that I had that was with some bad soil. I transplanted this bush in the bad area two and a half years ago. And it was exactly that size two and a half years ago. It was exactly this green two and a half years ago. It neither grew nor died in two and a half years. I think that's a miracle. That's a miracle that that can happen, right? And so looking at this, I explained it to you. I saw my heart here. I saw my heart as a pastor, as a leader of this church here, neither growing nor dying. And if I was content with my heart neither growing nor dying, if I viewed my life like this miracle bush, as long as it doesn't die, it doesn't have to grow or flourish, it doesn't have to have any fruit, just as long as it stays alive as is. The leaves aren't browning. I'm I'm safe with it. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. If that was my mentality, I would have the mentality of a worker the last slave, and I would be considered a wicked pastor. If I was happy with our church neither growing nor dying, and I don't mean just in numbers, I mean spiritually, I would be a wicked pastor. And could I say this? As you take ownership over this church, This is as much your church as it is mine, or Jesus's. And if you are content with this church being like a bush that neither grows nor dies, I humbly say, you would be considered a wicked church member. That there are things that God gives to us, and He allows us, To hold on to it for a time. For it to pass through our lives. And as it passes through, there needs to be some sort of transformation with it. A leveraging of it so as to produce more of it. For it to grow and mature. For there to be a a season of fruitfulness with it. And God wants this for our lives. And He does not want our lives to look like this. Two and a half years passes. A decade passes. Our entire lives pass. We haven't done anything terrible. But we really haven't done anything significant. That if I'm content with the status quo in any area of my life, if I'm content with my projects at work neither growing nor dying, I'm a wicked worker. If I'm content with my kids really not maturing or getting any worse, I'm a wicked parent. If I'm content with my place in life, and I'll even say my finances, neither growing nor dying through my life, I'm a wicked money keeper. 
that when God gives us a gift and a talent, an ability to manage something, and He puts at our disposal, He puts us in a position where we got five people, ten people underneath us, and we are accountable for them. And if we're just kind of floating the boat and saying, you know what, just kind of get it done. You know, you don't have to be off of the charts. Just don't tank it, you know. Just don't, don't, don't make us sink. If that's my mentality as a manager, I'm a wicked manager. If I have received something, whether it be influence or resources, and I simply just hold it and maintain it and then present it back to whoever gave it to me, I am a wicked slave. A lazy slave. These are the two words that Scripture uses, wicked and lazy. And those are two descriptions that I want for none of us to have in our lives. That we must not allow the things that we've received from God, again, positions, people, resources, you name it. We must not allow those things that we've received to be presented back to God as is. That's the mentality of the worker. Let me contrast that with the owner's mentality. A worker is just content with putting in hours. Like you clock in and you clock out. You know, I I came to work today and I sat at my desk. (laughs) Whether I did anything while I was sitting down, that's inconsequential. As long as I clocked in and I clocked out, I, I got the hours in. That's a worker's mentality. An owner's mentality is about achieving results. That As I clock in and before I clock out, I'm going to get something done of significance. There's a huge difference here. A worker waits for tasks to be given to them. You know, when my manager gives me something to do, then I'll I'll work. I'll, I'll get it done. I'll make sure it's satisfactory. But an owner says, no, I'm going to search for new opportunities. Right? When you own a business or you, you are the person in charge of something and you have a direct ownership over it just because it's an idle time, it's a slow season. Well, in those slow seasons, I'm going to figure out ways to research the market to make it a better season. That's an owner's mentality. And it's very different from the worker. And the worker also is basically a person that just wastes resources, but an owner knows how to maximize them, right? The other week, I I shared it on a Friday, right? I I was working in the office, and it was a a late lunch, and I decided, you know what? I'm free from my computer. I don't need the internet in my sermon prep, so I'm going to go to a park, right? And I didn't have lunch, and so there was something inside me, like, I want Taco Bell, right? I wanted a Burrito Supreme and a a Crunchy Taco. That's what I wanted for some reason. And so as I was driving to the park, I went through the drive-thru, and, you know, it goes there, and, like, I'll have one Burrito Supreme and and one taco. And they said, do you want a drink? I said, no. Do you want this? That's all I wanted. And I got to the window, giving me my order. She asked, how many hot sauces would you like? And I said, I like five on my burrito, and I specifically said three on my taco. Could I have eight, please? Okay, and that's all I said. And when I opened my bag at the park, there was like 15 in there, right? And that's this. You really don't care about the resources, okay? That you, uh, have you ever, 
You know, like when you don't care, you go and you take a stack of napkins that's this big and you stick it in your car, right? That, that's how it works, right? But when you're accountable for the, the final balancing of the sheets and you want to make sure you've maximized every dollar in the cent, you don't give stacks of napkins like this. The resources are precious because you want to maximize them. And this is an owner's mentality. And it's very, very different. That workers think about themselves, owners think about others. The first two slaves, they were thinking about the one who had entrusted these talents to them. And they wanted to bring a return. The last worker was thinking about himself. Self-preservation. I just don't want to get in trouble. As long as I don't get in trouble and I don't lose this little that's been given to me, I'll be okay. And so the focus was here, just don't get in trouble. Just don't make a mistake. But the focus on this side is about how do I leverage what I have to bring more to others. It's a very different mentality. And so we are called in this parable to have a mentality that looks like this. In my family, in my career, and personal life. To utilize resources so that they are maximized. To search out new opportunities of growth for the people that are around me. And to make sure that I'm not just clocking in and clocking out in life. But I'm seeking to utilize the moments between that clock in and clock out. From birth till death. To say, I'm going to leverage this. Um, I asked Jenny if she would share a, like a five-minute testimony today. She was embarrassed because and I'm just going to just like brag on my wife for a little bit. If I can do, at least I can do that, right? If she actually gave it, you're right, it kind of looks like uh, she's kind of bragging on herself. But if a husband brags on his wife, it's kind of, oh, okay, unless you live in Korea, right? I remember I was in Korea one time when we used to live there before I came back states. And this was between 2005 and 2009. And I said something good about my wife. And it wasn't like I was like this, like, like, like doing these exhort, like huge things. I just like said something nice. And they called me something in Korea that's translated kind of like, you shouldn't be doing that type thing, right? You need to, why, should I speak down about my wife or what should I do? But anyway, I'm going to share a little bit. Jenny, she used to work at a dental office in Fullerton and she moved away from that office for about a year and a half and went to a dental lab. She left 2015 February and she recently went back to that same dental office in Fullerton last month. She started July 15th, so a month and a half ago. And in the year and a half that she was gone, there was fluctuation, to say the least, in their collections. Okay? And there was a lot of turnover in their employees, and it was just different. The owners are fabulous people. I love them as people, but just in terms of having them own it and also manage do the HR and all the other things, it's just an overloading task for these particular dentists. So Jenny was in constant conversation with them. They wanted her to come back, and so she decided to go back. She started in mid-July, and their collections were at a certain place, and even in the last two weeks of that month, she was able to increase that. She has 
worked there. She's familiar with the clientele and just knows the, the different responsibilities that are there. And so she was able to work and to do things to increase the collection in July, just to at least a satisfactory place before they finish the month. And come August, you know, she has certain hours that she goes from this time to this time. And, you know, it's her first full month back. So she's stayed back a little bit longer throughout the day just to make sure all of the things are done, whether it be consultations or, or billing or just managing personnel and doing all of those particular things. And in the span of her first full month back, which was this past month of August, collections went really north, right? And... The, the doctors, they were very, very open about that in our practice account, they had $8,000 when she came back, right? And just a month and a half later now, in her, their practice account, they have $80,000. And so the doctors are, are smiling ear to ear. They even gave her a couple hundred bucks for the long weekend, right? Say, have some dinner with your family, right? And I appreciated that, right? But as I was thinking about her this past week, I was getting ready for this message. And I, I really do say this humbly. I saw the blessing of God giving me a wife that was represented in one of the first two slaves. I get to see the backside. I get to see how she talks about the business and what she really thinks about it. She prints out a little spreadsheet, a table. Last year's collection month by month, this year's current progress month by month, setting goals. Setting goals. Trying to grow the practice to a, at least a $3.5 million practice on an annual basis. And I get to see how she interfaces with the doctors and really envisions her work there. And I'll tell you, I am so thankful for the mentality and mindset that she has. As a husband, it makes me just beam with pride, actually. She's better than me, 10 times out of 10, I think. You know, She's amazing. I'm so thankful for the gift that she is. And God was reminding me through her and showing me the power of this parable. You know why? The doctors are now hands-off. They're like, you know what? We'll let you do anything you want type thing, all right? We'll give you more responsibility, and they're... You know, in, in a sense, they're giving more responsibility and more rewards. And I was thinking about it for a second. From the master's perspective, more responsibility and more rewards is a no-brainer for faithful servants. That's exactly what comes out here. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the little. Now you get a lot more of it. Enter into your rest. That's exactly it. And may those be the words at the end of our life when God calls us in front of Him and we are standing in front of glory. He looks back and plays back every scene of our lives and He would say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. May we even receive those words from our human bosses from the managers that are over us, that they will do our annual review, our quarterly review, and say, well done. We'll give you more responsibility. We will give you promotions and more rewards as well. That promotion should not be a foreign concept for believers. Why? Because believers should have the mentality of an owner in everything that they do. 
that in our studies, we're not just trying to squeak by. We're trying to take ownership over our path and our major. That when we get hired on, it's not just about sucking benefits and getting the best contract possible. It's about securing that maybe, yes, but saying, how could I work for this company in a way as if I owned it? How would I utilize my hours if it was really my business? And to have that mentality, the mentality of an owner. I'm going to finish. Guys, come back. My first of two exit points is focus your time, investments, and energies within the realm of your talents, not hobbies. So what do I mean by that? I enjoy golf, right? Like, but I'm never going to be a professional golfer. I will never be a professional. I, I prophesy I will never be a professional golfer, right? But I enjoy getting out to the field. It's really enjoyable for me. But I need not golf twice a week. I need not do that. That would not be a good use of my week. If I were to spend two of my prime hours in the day, two days out of the week, on golfing, to try to, I'm going to shave five strokes off of my game in the next year. Now, if I do that, that's great, okay? I would be happy, right? I play skins with some people that I, 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 I'd be happy with that, right? All right? But my focus of time, investments, and resources, energies, the things that I have, needs to be in the realm of talents, not hobbies. Gaming might be a hobby. Doing this or that might be a hobby. Don't spend the bulk of your good energy in hobbies. Spend it in the realm of talents. The thing that will really mark your life Be focused on that area. And then when you get to the end of your life, if you've invested time, energies, and resources and your heart and passion in this area, you will be on the receiving words of, well done, good and faithful servant. So it's my first encouragement. Focus on talents, not hobbies. Please don't omit hobbies. Hobbies are good. Now, I'm not saying don't do that, right? But just make sure the balance is shifted. If you were to, to see the amount of investment Make sure it's shifted to talents, not hobbies. That's number one. Second would be, can you just click for me, please? My clicker's given up on me. Work immediately for a greater return. Immediately, right? In Scripture here, if you go in verse 16. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. I want you to take that word immediate and apply that to the realm of your talents. Okay? To do it immediately. Okay? If I were to, let's be very practical, if I were to envision doubling my net worth within the next 10 years, what do I need to do now? That's very practical. If I were to envision this amount of, uh, of, of success in my career five years out, what do I need to do right now? Immediately act for a greater return. Do it now. Because okay? there are small things that you can do now to bring a return later on in different seasons of life. And that would be my encouragement to you. What do I need to implement now How can I better leverage my resources to serve more people in a deeper way? As you meditate on that through your career this week and the time that's in front of you, I pray, I pray that 
you will be a good and faithful servant. Amen?